thank you, Tim, for being here today. Uh, and one of the things I like to do with my podcast are capture people's spiritual experiences, yeah. especially if they're they're more on the extreme side. Uh, and partly that's because I'm aware that you know we live in a different time now. Uh, and I don't know that people are going to do the kinds of things that you and I did anymore. You know, I think, I think for, for various reasons, the internet being one of them, it's going to be very difficult for that, that kind of uh, extreme spiritual pursuit to exist anymore. Uh, and I think the world is now concerned with other things. You know, enlightenment isn't a huge concern anymore <laughs> for all kinds of reasons, which may be, may be a positive thing or maybe to our detriment. I'm not really sure. But I wonder if you could, you know, give us a little brief, let's say, let's say most, I'm sure most people listening to this don't know you, uh, or a lot of people listening to it don't know you. Mm. And therefore, can you just give us a little, who is Tim Dyson? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I suppose when I look at my life and I try and look at it objectively, because when you're in it, it's different than when you try and look at it from outside. And looking at it from outside and talking to most people, I, I realised that my life was always quite extreme, actually. Um, so I had like extremely religious parents, like sort of Old Testament born again style Christians. And, um, and I, I, so I had to rebel against them to find myself. And in doing that, I became this very devout atheist, actually, because I had to kind of cut from them and the way they saw things. And I threw myself into punk rock. And, and then particularly the kind of anarchist subculture end of punk rock, which was all about freedom on a societal level, really. And then at a certain point, I, start, I got very ill because I was drinking a lot and doing drugs and what have you. It was sort of the lifestyle. And so I had to have a big rethink. And Western medicine didn't really have much opening for me to help me with the problems I had. And I ended up finding a, an acupuncture clinic run by the National Health Service. So a free one by a kind of visionary acupuncturist called John Tyndall, who also taught Qigong. And I, and I took to the Qigong, I, I just loved it. This, this, this. And it, it was like all these memories clicked in of experiences I had of, as a kid and it was like everything started to open up that I'd spent all these years shutting down, really, and, and sort of neutralising with drink and drugs. And so that went on for quite a lot of years. And it was an interesting scene because it was mostly people that were coming through some kind of recovery, addiction recovery, and lots of traumatic history. And then I started to see his teacher, who was, who was quite quite a famous Chinese Qigong master, actually. And I spent years with him as well. But I had this feeling at a certain point that I needed something more. I knew that what I was going through was just so intense, so big, 
so difficult. And I just had this, this, this desire, this wish that almost consumed me actually for a teacher to appear who would kind of take me under his wing and I could spend all the time with him. And he would put me through whatever I needed to go through to become something like a real human being. <laughs> and with hindsight, I can see that a lot of the, the yearning was for surrender. But at the time, I didn't conceptualize it like that. It was more um, just wanting help with, with, with the desperation and the difficulties I was having. So um, I got told this guy was in London, this Balinese teacher, and he was really powerful. And I went there with a load of other people from John Tyndall's center. And they were all sort of energetically sensitive to one degree or another. And some of us just really got this guy. He was so powerful. And I seemed to get him particularly strongly. And he was staying in this flat in London. These people had kind of found him and taken him in. He'd been brought over to the UK by some people that didn't treat him well at all. And so I was just going there every day and training with him. And he basically said to me, you're really sensitive to my energy. I can help you, but you need to come to Bali with me when I go back. And you need to spend quite a long time with me. And basically that was the next 12 years of my life, pretty much. I did come backwards and forwards um, and I helped to organize some retreats for him in, in Europe. Um, but basically that was largely my life. And it, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it really was in many ways the best experience of my life. I, I had so much love for him and it, and it was, very mutual you know there was just we had this very easy connection but Balinese culture is very teasing they like to tease and English culture is a little bit teasy as well actually although we're a little bit kind of meaner with it perhaps <laughs> and and so we had this really fun kind of it was like a family thing and when I was there for quite a few years it was mostly Balinese people a few Westerners, and it was kind of raw and wild. And we trained in a kind of hut on a ripped up concrete floor for hours and hours and hours. And you'd end up on the floor in a puddle of your own sweat, just screaming and laughing and screaming and laughing. And it was amazing. It was so wild. And the Balinese people there, I mean, mostly they were farmers or from families of farmers so they weren't rough in that they were quite gentle in some ways but they were kind of rough lives and they trained in his practice really strongly and I think they weren't used to western people that could train like they did and so they were a bit taken aback by me they'd, they'd had a few westerners there before and they were kind of very held back and and I was this crazy guy and I had all this insanity inside me. So I just threw myself into it. And the training sessions, I suppose what I would say is they kind of resembled kind of mosh pits or something like that. <laughs> and, you, and you would kind of pull these moves. People would have these wild moves. 
So, so Tim, tell me, what was the practice? You know, I, I guess I want to, I want to know spiritually, what was the goal and what was the practice that his, you were engaged his, his obsession was purification. Yeah. He was all about purification and, and the burning of karma. That, that was his, his big thing. And he, he used to bring in this, this light and energy that literally burned you to bits. It was so hot, so strong. He would just look at you and it was like you're in a shower and everything that wasn't right in you would start kind of screaming and shouting and you know all the difficulty and you'd be sort of going ah 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 and then you go through this for like maybe an hour and sometimes it would be really extreme you'd literally be reeving around on the floor for an hour screaming and then at the end of it you would just be laughing and light and empty and like you didn't have a care in the world but he was hindu I say he was because he he passed away a few years ago, but he he's, he was Hindu, Balinese Hindu, so there was a lot of Hindu mythology brought into it, which I never really understood much about it for years, really, and I didn't really have any interest about it for a long time, and and I think he didn't really mind that I didn't seem that particularly interested. It was it was more about if you got him. And, and I think that was the point for him. And so what he realized was that there was me and a few of the Balinese that he could use to demonstrate like how much power he had and what he could do with that power. And so as more and more Westerners started appearing, he would do these things to, to, to illustrate it. I mean, to give you an example, one time he, uh, just went Tim and I looked at him and he went snake and he went like that with his hands or threw his hand out and I literally saw a snake as real as anything jumping towards me and I just ran screaming out of the room like so fast you wouldn't believe a human being could move that fast and then I got outside and I, and I, I sort of calmed down and then I realized that wasn't real but I, I, it wasn't until I, I was minutes outside that I could realize that what he did wasn't actually real in the, in the tangible real sense. But what he could do seemed so real, it, it could make you run for the hills. You know? <laughs> Very powerful. So it sounds like the, the main practice around him and the main practice you were engaged in was a was some variation of Shaktipat, some some variation of, of an energetic transmission of purification yeah. Yeah. that was, you know, burning away impurities, yeah. maybe burning away old karmas. Uh, yeah. And your part in the practice was to go with what happened. Uh, yeah. To really let yourself go into it. throw yourself in it and let go of the fears that hold you back. And so what, what happened was a lot of the Westerners would, would be more held back because it was so far out of their realm of experience. But for me, it was perfect because I got to express all this insanity and all this craziness that I needed to get out of my system. And, you know, he, he would just do this stuff with me night and day. So at night, I would go to sleep, but all night I would be in this kind of what he called an astral realm. 
So I'd be up in the cosmos somewhere. And he would literally train me in Kung Fu all night long. And in this training, I would have to defeat monsters and demons and things. And this would go on all night long. And then the next morning, I'd feel completely energized, but weirdly tired at the same time. And I'd go in and he'd look at me and he'd go, you did very well last night. <laughs> and, and, and after a while, I just took this to be a completely normal existence. And uh, it was entirely normal to training the astral with a, doing Kung Fu with de against demons all night long. And, and I never questioned it. And I think that's why I quickly became his kind of number one student from the Western perspective was because I don't think I really ever questioned him. I just had this enormous trust. That looking back on it was pretty naive, really. And especially considering I come from a background of questioning authority, questioning everything, don't believe what you're told. But for some reason, with this teacher, it, I didn't question anything. I just threw myself in there. It's very powerful. Um... I have so many different directions that I want to go with this conversation, but uh, I think what I'm going to start with is because what you and I share, one of the things you and I share is we both spent a long time working very closely with a spiritual teacher and yeah. both of our teachers were very extreme. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, you know, Shaktipat was not a part of the, my my path so much i mean certainly my teacher had transmission like teachers do but it wasn't that wasn't explicitly we were more into uh certainly purification as you said but we were more into rigorous practices of meditation um uh i did hundreds of thousands of prostrations uh you know just it was it was really the, the main vehicle was enormous amounts of practice chanting meditation prostrations and and guru devotion, of yeah. course, was a big part of the practice. And, and like you said, it was never ending, you know, yeah. uh, and the practice was ongoing all the time in, in various ways. Uh, and, and I guess what I want to pick up on is there can be a match. You know, my teacher was not perfect. And, and in the end, everything around him kind of collapsed. Um, and that was largely due to, to flaws in his methodologies, flaws in his personality, um, in, you know, some dramatic inconsistencies. All that aside, like you, I feel like as difficult as it was, and believe me, it was so difficult sometimes, uh, and I'm sure you can relate to that, uh, it was the most important thing that happened in my life. And, and it left me a completely different person than when I went in, in spite of the insanity and the craziness. And, and I guess I wanted to hear you speak a little bit about, because I think your story is very similar, but this very interesting mix where like a lot of people who worked with my teacher wouldn't say, they wouldn't be positive about it. Uh, to them, it really was very damaging. And, and, and whatever positive they got did not outweigh the damage. And, and I think, I think there is, there can be this very interesting moment where a teacher who is far from perfect is actually the perfect teacher for you 
at that moment in spite of the imperfections. And there's, because like you, I was drawn, you know, I was involved because I loved my teacher and, and I don't feel like I ever thought he was perfect. My first impression of him wasn't particularly positive uh, as a human being, but there was something else that I could not resist about the fact that I, and, and like you, I felt like I had finally met someone Unlike you, I don't know that I was begging for a teacher. I mean, I think I was looking for a teacher for sure, but I realized I've met someone who will do whatever it takes yeah. to get me to where I say I want to go. Uh, and f- he, will, he will do whatever it takes, regardless of consequence, you know, including damaging you along the way, which sounds harsh and horrible, and it is harsh and horrible. <laughs> I would never want to do that myself. Yeah. But it was actually the right thing for me in some weird way. And I, I don't really understand it. I think the whole, the whole path of, of finding a teacher and, and surrendering to a teacher uh, in that extreme way is it's really dangerous because yeah. you know, a lot of stuff happens. Uh, I teach myself, but I, I in, I'm not interested in that kind of deep devotion it feels too dangerous to me you know i, I want to teach meditation i want to teach spiritual philosophy and mysticism and awakening and and i love doing that uh but that complete spiritual devotion it, you know i think it's so rare that the the combination of teacher and student is the right match to make that work you know it's not going to be for millions of people that's going to be for a handful maybe mm-hmm. you know and I would love to hear you speak about this. It's almost almost for my benefit because I'm curious yeah. to to hear your experience, being that it's so similar to mine. I think I think one of the things I I really loved about him was that I knew he had the courage to take me through what I needed to go through. And I think one of the things he loved about me was that he knew I had the courage to let him put me through it. And, and I think there was a kind of recognition in both of us. You know, I can take this person through this. And I saw that he was the one that could take me through it. And I honestly think, Jeff, that no one else could have done that. You know, that it was a completely unique individual who would be prepared to put me through the madness that I had to go through to come out with some level of kind of sanity, really. And... You know, I, I feel amazingly blessed, but there was problems as well. And I think part of the problem was is that I, I always struggled with the kind of showy devotion. Um, I was utterly devoted to him, but I wasn't a kind of bowing, scraping kind of person. I never have been. And, and as more and more Westerners came into it, who wanted that kind of guru, where you, it's utterly devotional on a, on a ritualistic level. They couldn't understand, I think, why this teacher that they were completely devotional to ritualistically kind of favoured me over them. And I was kind of casual with him and so talk to him more like a friend and 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 so there was a lot of jealousies a lot of um, misunderstandings on their part 
But I think it also caused him a problem at a certain point because he started to buy into the I am the invincible guru. I I can't make a mistake. I am, you know, I am perfection. Everything I do is perfection. When I knew he made terrible choices. <laughs> you know, we had trouble with money lenders and the mafia. And, you know, I could go on forever about some of the mad things that happened. But, you know, he would always try and give it a spin that it made it look good on him. But I knew it was spin. I, I knew it was spin, really. And I didn't mind the, the spin. But I knew that's what it was. <laughs> right. And, and I guess the, the thing that I think is interesting um, is there's something about that system that is inherently very problematic because uh, even if at some point early on, it, there's more innocence throughout, you know, the yes. teacher's more innocent, they're kind of blown out of their mind and don't exactly know what's happening, but are, are compelled to share something. Uh, over time, it's, it's, it's natural in that system for the, for the students to start to worship the teacher, yes. essentially, yes. and for the teacher to start to assume they're worthy of that worship. Yeah. And, and that feeds, you know, the, the, the more you worship, the more the teacher is inevitably going to feel worthy of that worship. And, and the students want to present, they want to project onto the teacher perfection. And so they, they are never going to express doubts or concerns about things the teacher is doing. The teacher can make up any story they want to yeah. make it sound like they're always right. The students will always agree. Yeah. And, and that is just a system that uh, kind of, in terms of a community, it, it almost, uh, it bakes in blindness. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Into the yeah. system. I mean, his, his fallback, if he couldn't spin it any other way, his sort of last fallback position was, this is bad spirit testing your love for me. And your connection to me and that was always the end fallback <laughs> right and from there there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to go how do you, you get out of that one right then then, then you're stuck but yeah. yes it's just it's interesting that with all of these negatives yeah. this person was at least from your point of view was the right teacher for you and what you got out of that situation feels far in excess of whatever uh, yes. negatives you experience. I could say the same for myself, mm. even though if I start to explain all the things that go wrong, it's very intellectually, it's hard to justify that this could be a good thing because it looks really bad uh, mm. if, you, if you look at the, and yet I know who I was going into that and I knew who I, I know who I was going out mm. and the difference between the version of me that started that journey and the version of me that left, even under very, you know, very bad, kind of horrible, the whole thing crumbling around, you know, it was a bad ending. But even the, the person who emerged through that bad ending, which was in many ways the worst thing I ever experienced in my life, the difference between those two and the positive change in me as a human being that occurred in me as a spiritual being, mm. I could never say I regret 
any of it. And I wouldn't go back and change any of it because I don't know, you know, I don't know how much even, even of the insanity was, was necessary for me. And I wouldn't want to go back and tinker with it because what if I didn't change? You know, what if, what if I tinkered and I, I took things out that I didn't like? And then I found out that when I left at the end, I actually hadn't changed in the way that I did. So, so yeah, I just think that's very, it's very difficult to justify and explain in the modern world. Yeah, because everything that modern thinking says, you know, would be horrified by, by some of the things that we went through. And, and I don't think we could justify it on that, in that kind of way. All, all, all we know is that we went through something that was immensely rewarding for, for us and 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 that there's no there's no need to justify it i think really. it was just something we went through and it worked for us and and if it didn't work for some people and some people were very damaged i feel sorry for them i do feel sorry for them but i can't i can't say that it was wrong what happened for me i can't because it wasn't you know it, it worked for me and 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 you know really that's all i that's all i need to know i think right. really in terms of that i mean i do think i probably should have got out before i did i i could say the same thing yeah i yeah, probably I lingered about probably. about five years beyond you know and you know in the end in my case my teacher told me it was probably more like three years but he told me when when finally the thing was collapsing and I was leaving, he said, "You know, I knew three years ago that I should I should have set you free and and let you move on, uh, but I didn't want to lose your service because yeah. uh, by then I was his personal assistant and I was very intricate to the whole uh, to to our operations and to into what he was doing. But I felt exactly the same way. I might have felt it a year sooner, but there was definitely a time when I realized, okay, this is." It's over now. Like yeah. that, that bond that had connected us has served its function, and I'm not, I'm not. I'll grow more by moving beyond this yeah. than by exactly. staying in it. Exactly. I mean, we we had a big falling out, and we made our peace really. But and he tried to sort of get me back, and but I knew by this point that what was keeping us together was was love, but also a kind of sentimentality about what we'd both been through. And he had other people in positions where they were running the show and they were people that were wealthy people, a lot of them, people that were actually more educated, more successful in terms of, you know, sort of societal status. And in a way, in some ways, I was kind of an embarrassment for him in some ways, I think, because there was, you know, there was me being, you know, my not particularly overtly devotional self amongst all these you know, total devotees. And I think by this point, we, we'd gone as far as we could with each other, but but we still had this incredible bond because of what we'd both been through. You know, it was, it was difficult. And then when I left, because when I left my partner, my, my girlfriend, we'd been together about 10 years of that, nine years maybe. And she was still a total devotee and... So I lost her, I lost my teacher, I lost this friendship community, because most of the people wouldn't talk to me. 
You know, it was really quite harsh. Not all, there were exceptions. But I get it, you know, my leaving made them probably feel uncomfortable if they looked at why I might be leaving, you know, it was a bit hard to face. And and I was very lucky because I'd, I'd met a guy who I'd done a bit of healing work on me, actually. And he'd got this new system that had come through. Basically, he was bringing through this light system called the, called the Emerald Heart Light. And he said, oh, well, that's good. You're kind of free now because I want you to be a practitioner in my new system. I think you'd be excellent. <laughs> I thought, okay. And I kind of followed it at first because I didn't know what else to do. And it was like someone offering me something. And then I realized when I was working with him that he was definitely another powerful teacher figure. And he definitely pushed people, but he also pushed people into their power. He was very good at pushing people out into the world and out into their power. And I think the more guru-based systems, the problem is, is, is it all flows inwards to the guru. It doesn't really flow outwards into the world only in the sense of trying to recruit people for them. And so absolutely... feel... No, no, Sorry. please go ahead. Sorry. I feel like there's a, the directionality is wrong. Yes. I, I'm loving some of what you're saying because, you know, I've been now not, in, not involved with that teacher for uh, 10 years um, mm -hmm. and have been teaching on my own. And as I said, you know, what I want to do in, the, in, the, in my work and, and honestly, when I left the community, teaching was not what I wanted to do. Uh, but it it just became obvious that I that that's what I was here to do. So, and I, my, you know, my my quest, my fundamental mission is: can I share what I the benefit I experienced without the craziness, you know, with, with, without the insanity? And honestly, I don't know. You know, this is this is an open question. Uh, but some of the things that I'm aware of that I would never want to repeat, you know, because you learn things from the negatives as well. Absolutely. You know, and one of them is, is just exactly what you said, our system as well. There was no way for anyone to leave gracefully. Yeah. You know, you could only leave in disgrace. Uh, and, uh, it, and I just, I think if we could have just changed that one thing, the outcome could have been very different, you know, if, because there does come a point, even, even for people, almost everybody that would look, mm. the, the kind of extreme practice we were doing, everybody was getting a tremendous amount of benefit at one point, or they wouldn't be involved, mm. you know, but there comes a point in different people's karma when they're not getting benefit anymore. It's not, you know, they've, they've gotten what they came to get. There needs to be a way to acknowledge that and thank people for their service you know, be grateful, allow them to maintain connections with the, with the community and with the people they love uh, without forcing them to, you know, leave in the middle of the night and, and, and be essentially excommunicated and then harbor all of this resentment, which then becomes uh, their lasting impression of something yeah. that might've been fantastic for eight years. And, but the ending is so horrible that that's, that's what, what they're left with. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, there's definitely, I think that was a huge thing that I would do differently. Yeah. And, and the other you also just mentioned is this, the energetic flow, you know, 
this idea that everything is 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 moving in toward the guru that yeah. that it's there's recruitment and there's bringing people in it's it's not the right energy you know wow. i think oh. i think as as someone who's working with others you know the most important thing is is what i give to them yeah. and and being aware of the value that i'm creating for them in their lives and and being empowering as you just said and and helping people recognize what it is that they have not what i gave them but what what they even had before they ever met me you know people don't they don't come to me empty they come usually very full of experiences and awakening practices um and and often in that guru system you want to downplay or or erase the value someone's coming in with so because the storyline is that you gave them everything uh and I, yeah it's just th those things and and many others i think there's a better way uh and and i'm really you know one thing my my teacher used to say and I, i'll bet yours was similar uh he he would say the the hierarchy of significance mm -hmm. is caring for people caring for each other is very important mm -hmm. but caring for our shared mission is more important mm -hmm. and sh and caring for your for the guru is most important yeah and yeah. i honestly think that is upside down that ca care for the guru is important mm -hmm. caring for each other is more important Oh no! Sorry, caring for for our shared, you know, mission, our shared uh, endeavor, is more important than than the than caring for the guru. But caring for each other and each other's well being is most important. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that that is how I try to look at what I'm doing. Me caring about people and everyone caring about each other is what's most important because a loving mutually supportive community is is what i think creates the best foundation uh, for Absolutely. wholesome awakening yeah and i think you hit on something there jeff that has been rattling around in my mind for quite a lot of years really and 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 it's this it worked well when the teacher's mission and my mission were aligned and i think the problem was i started to get impulses to go in a different direction and my mission was not necessarily the same as his anymore because his by this point was all about self-aggrandizement <laughs> and so the mission and him were the same thing in a way it was by this point it was like the mission is build him up to be the biggest teacher in the world today that was his mission and and increasingly i started to get this feeling of yeah but what's my mission but what about me and my role in the world and is this really my role and at first i gave myself such a bad time i thought this is my ego acting up you know and this is my lack of surrender and he would basically say that to me you know he, he would sort of shame me publicly for for not promoting him at every opportunity and bringing new people but i realized by this point that i just wasn't comfortable bringing new people in because I increasingly had feelings of being uncomfortable in the way that it was going. And so 
although I felt that my connection with him was still very strong in many ways, I knew at some level I knew I needed to get out. It was time. So then how to get out? And I went through this awful couple of years of thinking, I'm wrong, I'm so bad, I'm so rubbish, I'm, I'm not doing what the guru wants, there must be something wrong with me, you know? maybe bad spirits have influenced me even, you know, <laughs> until I finally got to the point where I started to realise, no, it's that I need to go. And of course, then a mechanism happened where we fell out to, to, to kind of give me a chance to get out. And then I went on, you know, when I got in touch with this English guy, David Ashworth, who, who had set up the Emerald Heart Light. I mean, he was totally different. He was, his approach was, oh, yeah, but you're, you're really good. You know, you've really understood a lot. You've been through a lot. You know, this is, you know, you, you could do great things. Do you really want to spend your life in an ashram in Bali? You know, and, this, <laughs> and, it, and he kind of unlocked it all for me and helped me to see it. So I, I feel amazingly blessed right the way through because every time there's been someone there to kind of help me with the next step of the journey and, and, and to point me in the right direction. I'm amazed at the similarities between our stories, actually. Um, yeah. And I won't go into it, but I could pretty much have said everything you just said. Yeah, I'm entirely surprised. <laughs> and it would all be exactly accurate. Um, yeah. I have just a, a couple more things I want to ask you about. Um, one has to do with um, something you mentioned. I mean, I guess I want to state again for the record, uh, because you and I both, when we, you know, I, I think you have the same experience I do. When you start speaking about all the things that are wrong, you can go very far down that road. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really wrong. I mean, there's nothing unequivocal about it. You know, it's yeah. not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it seemed to be wrong, but it really wasn't wrong. It actually really was wrong. Mm. Uh, and still, it was the, it was the most important time of my life and something I would never, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't change. I know that's not everybody's. And like you, my heart goes out to people who really uh, were more hurt by this than helped. But that wasn't my experience. I, I left feeling that I had that that all of the negatives, and believe me, as as my teacher's assistant, I I was front and center for a lot of negatives. Uh, but in my case, for whatever reason, the mix worked and I I leave or I left or I am left now feeling that I received everything I wanted and more uh, yeah. from that. And you know, there was recently a, a, a documentary made about my my community, my former community. Oh, really? I'd and, like to see that. And they wanted me to uh, to be interviewed, but I, I refused. Um, and it, you know, and, and it was because I I knew that what was going to happen yeah. is you were going to get some people who just said this was the worst thing that ever existed on the planet, you know, yeah. and you were going to get other people who said. It was heaven on earth and, and magnificent. And, and charting out the territory of it was the worst thing that ever happened on the planet and it was heaven on earth. I, don't, I just didn't know how that, how that subtlety was going to be able to be expressed. I still don't know exactly how to express that subtlety in my own, uh, in my own case. Mm. Uh, 
but yeah, I just wanted to state that again because yeah, no, I, I totally get you, and I, I really hope they don't make a documentary about, about my teacher. I would have all the same feelings, you know? and, and I think maybe for me, I suppose what I would say is this: whatever was wrong and whatever was right, it was certainly the most alive I've I've ever felt. And I also felt that I was fighting for something that was crucially important. I mean, when I first met him, I think in some ways I was fighting for my life. I was very ill physically. Um, but as the time went on, I realized that I was fighting for something much more profound than that. I was fighting for light to conquer darkness within me, ultimately. Uh, uh, and then for that, for that light, that I generated within me during that time to then go out into the world and, and to help other people. And I don't know if I would have ever been able to help people had I not gone through that experience with him because I would have just been this ill, depressed person living in the dark, really. Yes. So, so I was fighting for life on lots of levels, really. And I felt very, very alive. And, yeah, and some wisdom came along the way, I hope, a bit here and there, I think. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. So, so I have two more things I, I would like you to speak to. One is, it has to do with the, the kind of, as you mentioned it earlier, the, the trust in the, in the teacher, the trust in the situation, the innocence, which is, which is kind of a faith that, that you trust even beyond the the appearance of imperfection. Uh, so, so what I would like you to speak to is, on the one hand, there's this kind of paradox. On the one hand, I think that depth of innocence and trust and faith that, that, that will allow you to do things that are so extreme, right? That, that if you, unless there was complete trust, like blind faith, you wouldn't do it, uh, is, is, a part, is a kind of necessary ingredient for this depth of spiritual pursuit, this, this intensity of spiritual practice. At the same time, it's also exactly what makes it so difficult yeah. uh, because, because you, you're, you make yourself very vulnerable to be led astray when you're that innocent. So yeah, I, it's, it's this impossible mix where it's absolutely essential and it's the most dangerous part. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, you know, I mean, it's, it may sound like from what I've said that, you know, I'm this trusting person, but I'm not really. That's, that's the thing. I do have a kind of slightly innocent side. I, I can see my dad has it and I have it. And I have this other side, which is very cynical, a bit suspicious, a bit world-weary. So I'm not like this sort of innocent, wide-eyed devotee type at all. But there was something about my connection with the teacher that enabled me to rise above all of those kind of doubting sides and all of that distrust and all that cynicism. You know, I can be quite cynical. And there was something about him. It was like a kind of magnetism that kind of pulled me up and out of that. And... So when I was in his presence and he would do crazy stuff with me, I never had any doubt. And so he would call me up in front of, you know, a hundred people and, and break a brick over my head. And then 
I would just feel this amazing injection of energy that would carry on for days and days and days. And people would say, but how can you do that with Tim and not with other people? He'd say, well, I can do it with Tim and a few of the Balinese because they trust me. And, and it made me think. I remember the first time he did it, it made me think. And I thought, well, doesn't everyone trust him then? And then that was the innocent part of me sort of thinking, well, doesn't everyone trust him? And so I started to realize that there was a difference, that not everyone trusted him to that kind of degree. And so I, I did wonder, you know, what, what is it? What is it that enables that in someone that's not intrinsically trusting by nature? How was that possible? And I'm still struggling to come up with the answer. <laughs> I, I believe me, I can relate to that as well. Um, it involves surrender, but why was that surrender so possible? What, what right. was it that was possible? And, 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 and I think it goes back to what you were saying quite a while back about there being this perfect match. It doesn't mean that it's perfection, but there was a perfect match between teacher and student to create that, that is, those conditions. So then how is that possible outside of some <laughs> crazy guru. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't have the answer. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Uh, so just quickly, Tim, when did you join the community in Bali? That's a really good question. I was thinking about that this morning. And my, my, one of my big problems is dates. I'm really bad with dates and stuff. So I think it must have been early 90s okay so so i assumed that from our yeah. conversations because i joined the, my community in 1992 so it would have been similar time frame yeah. uh and maybe the, it's possible it was as late as mid 90s sure possible. but yeah roughly similar so i want to uh the last thing i wanted you to speak to before we finish is um we both said earlier before we started recording that we felt that we had hit the tail end of a kind of spiritual era, that this, this kind of join the ashram, do, do completely crazy wisdom kind of practices that, and you know, partly I think that's because in the internet age, you know, people would put that stuff up on YouTube and the whole thing would get shut down. Uh, but there may be other reasons. And I'm just curious, any comments you have about the fact that you and I were part of the tail end of a certain era, what's changed, what's different, what might be good about that, what, what, what are we missing, any thoughts you might have? Uh, to... I, think, I, I think that there, there are, I'm not saying everyone, but I think there is a reasonable percentage of people in the world that actually like to be pushed beyond their comfort zone. And you can see it in all sorts of contexts, in gym classes, in, you know, fitness stuff. You can see it in, in many, many areas of life. There's this thing where people want to go beyond comfortable and into the pain, actually. And I think it's because all of us, or not maybe all of us, but those of us that have been through those kinds of experiences, we, we, we recognize that something good comes from being pushed beyond maybe what we're able to push ourselves through easily 
And so whether it's going to some kind of gym class with a teacher that's a bit tough and pushes you. I mean, I go to a yoga studio and one of the most popular teachers in that yoga studio is one of the toughest teachers. It's not for everyone. Some people say he's too tough. But a lot of people really like his classes. And I have this kind of feeling in me where I, I think you could call it a kind of warrior energy, maybe, where I, I, I like to be pushed a bit. I, I like someone to push me. And it doesn't have to be a person. And what I've realized now, where I am spiritually now, it's more something abstract that pushes me rather than a teacher in a human form. It's more a kind of a sense of consciousness of light and energy is pushing me to see what I need to see, to do what I need to do. To... So, so I feel I still get pushed without the guru teacher. But the problem is, is that if teachers in the world today are scared or nervous or don't want to push students, then how are students going to have the sort of experiences that we had that, that got them through that? And I, and I honestly think people are still hungry for that. But it would have to be done in a way where it doesn't end up a nightmare. Yes. And I, I guess, you know, what I would say to that is I think that kind of pushing, yeah. and this is where I think, things got crazy with my teacher and it sounds like similar with yours yeah. that that depth of pushing can only happen in those relations where the match is perfect yeah right any any imperfection in match will make that not work or it may work for a time you know the match might be pretty good and so for five years it really works but then at some point oop, the mismatch occurs the mismatch like the mismatch occurred for me eventually and it occurred for you yeah. eventually and i think if if you are only pushing those people for whom the match is perfect mm -hmm. and you're only doing it during the time when the match is perfect and you're sensitive sensitive enough to recognize when it's time to end that you know maybe then it's possible but it will only ever my opinion is it'll only ever be for a very small number of people yeah. like a handful mm -hmm. which is what it sounds like happened in your case there's a handful of people who you know, your teacher could break a brick over their head. Yeah, uh, exactly. When the teacher wants to be the world teacher and have tens of thousands of students, they're never going to all be a match, and many of them are going to be dramatically mismatched. So maybe that's that. That's really what I came to is that maybe a teacher can help a lot of people to some degree, but maybe they can only actually really take a small percentage somewhere, you know, some real distance. And, and maybe that is just the reality of how it works. I, I, I think it's a shame, but I think that may well be how it goes. I mean, if we think about Christ, he had his small group of disciples and then, you know, and I'm sure it was the same for Shakyamuni Buddha and, and all these people. And, and in the context of a modern teacher that isn't set up as some big guru figure, it's probably still true that they were only take a small percentage of reasonable distance. And, you know, it, it doesn't, I don't feel sad about that. I just yeah. think we, the model needs to accommodate that fact, which means yeah. the model of one teacher for everyone 
is not a model that's that's a good model and mm -hmm. and the kind of empowerment that you were talking about sooner where someone like you there's going to be some people that you're the perfect match for them right now. Yeah. It may not be for the rest of their life. It may be for a few months. It may be for a few years. But if, if you're never empowered to offer your experience, those people will never connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't, it feels like there is going to be the perfect, like you described, you know, there's always somebody to bring you the next step and someone to bring you the next step. There may not be one person to bring you all the way. Yeah. There may be a series of individuals who will support you to get to the place where, as you yeah. described earlier, your own inner light becomes the guide. Yeah. I would say that's certainly become true for me in that I, you know, consider there to be three or four people that I, I, I think of as teachers, you know, yourself included. And, and, you know, I don't feel the need to kind of sign up to, to one kind of guru figure anymore. I, I don't really want that. I've done that. And I heard you talking um, where you said you went to see a kind of guru figure just to see how it felt and, and to sort of connect with that kind of scene again. And I did something similar. I went to this guy and, and I found it a fascinating experience. And I quite enjoyed the evening. But I absolutely knew it wasn't for me. I do not need that anymore. And maybe it's a bit like, you know, they talk about in the Buddhist tradition where you have different teachers and they sort of come in and out and they fulfill different functions of teaching, maybe. And, and maybe this is the way to go. Absolutely. But in, but in terms of my own students, I'm aware that some I will never be able to take that far. And I don't try to. I just keep it you know a certain depth really and then with others over time i real realized they're looking for me to actually i feel it they want something more and so it's kind of gauging this isn't it and and having some kind of structure that you can do that within um you know and if you get it wrong then they'll run for the hills you know if you <laughs> put them into something too deep and they're not ready for it they will go but right and if if such a thing happens then you know you can be gracious about it and yeah absolutely and 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 allow people to move to what will serve them and yeah. and do it lovingly with an with a with an open warm welcome and invitation to return at whatever level they want at any time yeah. uh yeah. absolutely i mean i do, i've i suppose in my own teaching i feel like i I sort of drop something and reveal something more of me and what I've been through and how I can utilize that to help them and bring something through. And it happens incrementally over time with them. And, and I think if I was to kind of bring through some of the energy of the teacher that I was with in Bali, and they half of them would run away because they would feel too hot and fried by it. But uh, <laughs> I understand. But, yeah. Well, Tim, I think this has been absolutely delightful. Uh, and yeah. I'm really glad that uh, people are going to have the opportunity to hear more about your story and hear some of this, this conversation that we're having. So I want to thank you very much for, uh, for participating in this dialogue today. That's great, Jeff. I'm really pleased. I'm really touched that you asked me, actually. I'm quite taken aback. I mean, 
we have one conversation and and then you ask me to do this as well. Okay. That's nice of him. That's a bit surprising, but very nice. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, it, it strengthens my confidence and my intuition because I had a feeling this was going to be a great conversation and I was right. So uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative, Tim. And um, yeah, let's definitely stay in touch. Okay. All right. Great, Tim. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you.